The first reading is from Jeremiah, the 20th chapter. O Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. The word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. I hear many whispering. Terror is on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him, say all my close friends, watching for my fall. Perhaps he will be deceived. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. Their eternal dishonor will never be forgotten. O Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance upon them, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. For he has delivered the life of the needy from the hand of evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in the responsive reading of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In our second reading, we are told Jesus has freed us from our sins, and therefore we live free. The second reading is from Romans, the sixth chapter. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you are, who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from those things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Hallelujah. We acknowledge, praise, and glorify you, Lord Jesus. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Belzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not 
worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the gospel of the Lord. And there's kind of a children's emphasis to this, but young ones, stay right where you're at. Yeah, just hang out. Stay with your parents. Because some of it starts off with you and then kind of it quickly goes to the, the veteran clan. So yeah, just hang out with mom and dad. So the first question does have youth, young ones. So I'm going to kind of try to find you out amongst the group. But I'm going to ask you this. Tell me about some rules that you have at your school. So what would be some rules that you have at your school? What do you got? Don't disobey a teacher. That's a good one. Rules at school. What are some rules at your schools? Don't run in the hallways. What else? School. Where you're at. What are some rules at your school? Your university. Yeah. No cheating. That's a good one. Good answer. Valpo teaching them right. Any other students in here? What are some rules at school? Besides obey teacher, don't cheat, no running in the hallways. Anything else? No cell phones. That's a big one. Didn't have that problem back in my day. What else you got? Treat them. That's kind of a church thing right there. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Early church, they mentioned bubble gum. You're not supposed to chew gum in schools. And I asked them, like on this one, do you know why they say that? Why is it that the teachers and the principals would say don't chew gum in school? What would you say? So why is there no chewing gum in school? Guys, why? It's the same answer. Yeah. I just was curious at the sides of the room. The answer was to this is because when you're done chewing the gum, where do you put it? Up underneath the chair, underneath your chair. If you're really bad, you put it in someone's hair. So they really don't have a problem with you chewing gum, except that when it comes time to discard the gum, you mess it up. Right? So let's say this. Let's say that your friends all are decided that this cell phone use in school is dumb. Whoever made that room is just a knucklehead. They don't know what they're thinking. And they all kind of collaborate and say, you know what? We are going to use our cell phones in, in class. We're going to use our cell phones whenever we want. Are you going to follow their, their, their lead? Are you going to go along with that? Would you? Yes or no? Probably you shook your head. Would you go along with that? Would you use your cell phone in school? Looking back there, yeah, you can hide, but I'm looking at you. <laughs> would you use your cell phone in school if all your friends decided to, or would you probably not? Have you done that? I should have asked a different question. <laughs> all right, cell phone use. Well, the point of that is if they say it's a dumb rule and you choose not to follow the rules, if you choose um, to ch- chew the gum when you shouldn't, if you choose to cheat when you shouldn't, um, why, why would you do that or why wouldn't you do that? You know, I'm getting you to think about authorities on this one. Is the power and authority of a teacher and a principal and this institution that's wanting to have you enforce and keep these rules, is that bigger than your desire to break them? Could it be with some of these rules that the students don't understand why the teachers and the principals made the rules in the first place and want them enforced? And it's just not at schools. How about home? This is where we all get to kind of participate in this. Tell me about some of the rules that you have at your house. What are some of the rules that you have in your house? You guys, you're still at home occasionally. What are some of the rules at your house? 
Listen to mom. That's a good one. Any other rules you want to add to that one? Other rules of the house? You know, like, don't beat up your brother? Maybe? What would you say were some of the rules? What's a, what's a rule at your house? Oh, my gosh, the pressure. Too many. Too many rules, says mom. All right, back row. What's some rules at your house? No shoes. Yeah, you leave your shoes at the door, right? That was in the early church, too. What are some rules at your house? Get good grades. Read. You're supposed to read. All right. Does anybody here have to pick up dirty clothes? How about making some beds? Did you mean the rest of you? Did, what were some rules at your house? Ms. Ringmer, what do you say? Participate in all the chores. Participate in the chores. All right. So... Let's say that your brothers and your sisters and your cousins all decide that the leaving your shoes off at the front door is a bad rule. It's a, just a dumb rule. They don't really care. They don't want to follow the rule. And all your cousins, your brothers, your sisters, and they all decide that we're just going to break this rule. Are you going to go along with their breaking the rule? Are you going to keep your shoes on even after a muddy, muddy day, rainy day outside, and you're just going to walk through the house? Are you going to do that? And if you answer no, why won't you? Why wouldn't, you, why wouldn't you break that rule? Because you don't want to clean up messes. They'll make you clean it up. Oh, yeah, and, and there's something about mamas, right? I can't really communicate that, but it's communicated. All right, so maybe the power and authority of mom and dad to make the rules, to establish the rules, is bigger than our desire to maybe break those. Could it be that the children don't understand sometimes why mom and dad would make the rules in the first place? All right, just a thought. It's all connected. We're getting there. Rules of God's creation. Tell me some rules that God has given to his church throughout time. What are some of the rules that God's given? Everybody, this is a participation sport. What would you say? What? Love one another. That's one of the rules that Jesus gave us. God has given us. What's another? What's, what's some of the other rules? Worship Him only. Obey commandments. What are the commandments? What are some of those that come off the top of your head? You've heard this before. What are the commandments? Don't steal. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Honor your father and your mother. Don't covet. That's a hard one because if you look, you covet. That's just. Um, how about Sabbath stuff? Honor the Sabbath. That was a commandment. It wasn't to just please do so. It was like, thou shalt remember and keep the Sabbath holy. How about using God's name in vain? We don't do that. Right? We don't have other gods. We don't make them in images. We don't worship them. Those are some of the commandments. Anything else that comes to mind about this? Commandments? False witness. Those are, so we've got most of those ten. Anything else that stands out? Just kind of curious. Anything else? Yeah, Jesus says make disciples. So that's not a, an avoidance of something. That's a stepping forward to do something, right? That's a positive thing. So if all of your friends, if your brothers and your sisters, if your parents, grandparents, if your whole town, everybody you know is inviting you to break God's rules, forget the Sabbath. Don't worry about killing people. Don't worry about stealing. And they invite you to join them. Would you? And if you wouldn't, 
Why not? If everyone around you says, God's rules don't mean what they say, those rules of God, well, they're just old-fashioned. They were made for people 1,500 years before Jesus, or they were made for Jesus' time, that first century world, and that world is so old and obscure and obsolete. It's not the new world. We know better. We're smarter. Those are stupid rules, old-fashioned rules. If a whole nation and a whole world says, come on, let's vote and make this thing legal. Let's show it on TV all the time so it becomes familiar and desensitizes the people to it ever being possibly wrong. Let's just do this. Will you? Is the power and authority of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bigger? Today, we remember Jeremiah. It's the Old Testament lesson. We also remember the sinning of the twelve. Now, Jeremiah, he was a young prophet. And if there's someone in here that's somewhere between, say, 15 and 18, you'd be a young prophet. So imagine someone in that, that, that age bracket, a young prophet. And this young prophet was told to go to his family and his friends his community, his president, his congress, if you will, this whole world, and he was to stand before them boldly and clearly and say there is one supreme authority, and that is God. That there are one set of rules, and God established those rules, and we are to follow those rules. There is a history of God's love, power, and provision. You are to remember, people of God, you are to remember catches with Jeremiah no one wanted to hear what Jeremiah had to say maybe they discounted him because he was too young probably they discounted him because they had their own agendas and their own wants and their own needs and they were focused on that and they just discarded God with Jeremiah so they laughed at him they laughed they threatened him they rejected him or they just ignored him and they did it their way. Jeremiah thought he was alone in the world at times, but he was not alone because God promised. He said, Jeremiah, I am with you always. Echoes of the sinning of the 12 that we had just a couple weeks ago. I'm with you to the end of the age. I am with you, prophet of God. So now, thinking of Jeremiah in that context, we're going to think about some of the things that he, actually you'll read in the book. Chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. Jeremiah is going to do this work, not because he wanted to, I assure you of that, but he was called. This is the words. Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and God said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. And then Jeremiah said, he said, Oh, Lord, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you will go. And whatever I command to you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am, the name of God, I am with you to deliver you, 
declares the Lord. Jeremiah had a call. It didn't matter what the people said. It didn't matter what God said. Jeremiah chapter, uh, chapter 1 now, verse 18. And he's going to say, it's not going to be on to Jeremiah, the young person's strength is going to be about God. Hear these words. And God says, or in Jeremiah says, and, and I behold, I make you this day. So God's speaking to Jeremiah. I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall. I make you against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, Jeremiah, but they will not prevail against you. For I am, again, God is, I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God chose a young, weak, worldly person, and God made him strong. God did the work. People may intentionally or unintentionally forget in Jeremiah's day the reality of God and God's place of authority and power they chose to forget. People distracted themselves with all sorts of important business or shiny things. But the reality remained. God is the power and God is the authority. And God is more intelligent and He has a reason and purpose even if those grown-up adult children of His don't get it or don't like it. This God, through all time, through prophets, priests, kings, faithful men, women, and youth, this God, in love and in mercy, calls people to confess, to repent, and to return. Move on to Jeremiah chapter 3. It's a call, Jeremiah's words to people to do just that. Confess, repent, return. And the Lord said to me, this is words of Jeremiah, The Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous than the treacherous Judah. So go and proclaim these words to the north and say, return Faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look on you in anger, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. The people of Jeremiah's day, they did not accept the Lord's invitation. They rejected the word of God spoken by this prophet of God. And the people did not confess, they did not repent, and they did not return. They rejected God's call and they received the consequences of their foolish behaviors. Now all of this said, I, need, I feel a need to tell you that this was an almost unbearable reality for Jeremiah. For he had been given a tremendous heart and love for both God and people. When he experienced the people rejecting the Lord, he personally witnessed it and it broke his heart. It was hurting him to watch them live this way. When Jeremiah personally experienced the fear and the pain and the darkness that was coming upon the people because of their foolish life choices, it broke Jeremiah's heart. He didn't want. God didn't want that. He did everything he could to have him choose anything other than that. And when they said no, it hurt Jeremiah. 
Now, with this part of this tragedy and this part of this history remembered, and with some of this prophet's heartfelt message now in our minds, we also need to remember this, and this is an important piece, that punishment is not the end of the story. The destruction of sinful, rebellious people was never the goal. It was not the objective in the beginning, the middle, or the end of the biblical story. We remember, because Jeremiah tells us, that some of God's people, they will confess. And they will say they're sorry. And they will strive for God's holiness and righteousness in their lives. They will strive to conform their will to God's will and live as God's holy people. And that they will experience God's mercy and love and forgiveness. Some of God's people are going to seek, again, to live according to God's rules, and they're going to experience the fullness of what God intended for our lives. Hear this in Jeremiah chapter 31. And as you hear these words leap 600 years to the future, to the birth of Jesus. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 31 Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. I'll make it with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with them, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. He says, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and they and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor or teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Good news. Jeremiah is talking about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lamb of God, Jesus. When he says, they shall know me, says the Lord, that is revealed in perfection in Jesus Christ as he walked amongst God's people and he showed them who God was. And then you listen again to the words of today's Old Testament lesson. The very last sentence is read. It was from Jeremiah chapter 20. It says this, having heard that news, Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. That's exactly what Jesus did. That deliverance comes in Jesus Christ. The young prophet Jeremiah, 600 years before the birth of God in Jesus Christ, he is giving the people of God a timeless and limitless hope that God will forgive our sins, that God will forget our sins, that God has, did you notice the tense, that God has delivered? He said that 600 years, it was almost as if it was happening in the moment. But it was not until Jesus, but then it's, it's, it's throughout time that God has delivered the life of the needy. That's you and me. We're the needy. That in Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, God is our God and we are his people. That's all Jeremiah and God working through him. That brings us today to today, the church. 
Jesus, in today's gospel lesson, sends 12 apostles. Did you notice that it wasn't very nice words, potentially? Last week, we're gonna, I'm going to send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, which means you're going to get devoured and killed. And then he says, I'm going to send you out. It came as a separation between those that follow me and those that follow the world. And it might even be in your own house. You might have to stand against your whole family and as you stand for me. Maybe that was like Jeremiah. That was just last week. And today it continues. Today it continues with the sending of the twelve. So in the great tradition, think about it. In the great tradition, God is sending prophets. And so now Jesus is sending the twelve. But now after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and fills the people of God, now Jesus is also sending his church. The world has not changed since the time of Jeremiah or the time of the apostles. If you want to confirm that, just look at the news. You will see all kinds of evil, vulgar, disgusting things taking place in the world. And some of them they're calling legal. That's happening today just like it happened then. We know this to be true. But with God the Father making the church an iron fortress, with Jesus as a victorious one over sin, death, and the devil, with the Holy Spirit within us, this church, we, the church, are to go out and share the good news of God's love like Jeremiah, like the apostles, like Jesus, like the saints who have preceded us. We are to go out. We are those people. We, the church, are to go out and invite everyone to follow the way of God's holiness. Everyone into this way of life. That is our task as a people. We are baptized for this purpose. We are to make disciples who in time will join God's church and join this historical work that has been set from the prophets of old all the way through right now. That we as a church will know Jesus personally. We'll have that relationship with him and intimacy with him. And having known him, we can do nothing else but then to make him known because we want all people to leave the lies of the evil one and be restored in the life of God. That was the way of Jeremiah. That was the way of the prophets. It is the way of Jesus and it is the way of Jesus' disciples. And it's to be the way of us, the church, Emmanuel, Lutheran church. That is who we are to be. And that's what we're called to do. And God will give us the strength. Amen.